0: Better be, better be, it could not possibly, no sir a sir sir Songs could not
1: gay her be, sound your dough, re or me re re-me, fa-so-la-si, fa-la-la-la, follow me.
0: Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval podcast culture podcast where we talk about how medieval and medieval inspired movies tv and books depict the medieval world what did they get right what did they get wrong and which they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past i'm sarah Decker, a medieval historian and today i'm joined once again by my mother beth greenfeld to discuss a 1955 film the Court jester so mom welcome thank you for guesting again thank you for having me why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself in case this is their first time hearing you on the podcast and why you wanted to talk about this particular film.
1: Oh, well I live to be Sarah's guest. (laughs) I think (laughs) this is my fourth time. And I think I was actually your first guest, or at least that says that in a blurb for
0: timeline. (laughs) Yes, I think you were, because uh, you were on when Ali and I were co-hosting, and uh, we didn't have that many guests. Most of the time, it was just the two of us. Right. At any anyway, rate, so Sarah's father
1: was cooking dinner, when he was cooking with a mortar and a pestle, which granted he's been doing for 40 years. And all of a sudden, I saw the pestle. And I said, the poison's in the pellet with the vessel and the pestle and the pestle and the vessel. And I had no idea what it was. It just sort of came to me. And these words kept pouring out of my mouth. But they were very cool words. So I went and Googled them. And there it was. They came from a Danny Kaye movie from 1955, which I think I might have been a little young at the time. But I'm positive I saw it first run. And because it's medieval, I begged Sarah to have it on her podcast.
0: Absolutely, which is a much better outcome than the other possibility if somebody was spouting that string of, that string of words, which is that they've lost their their minds. <laughs> right. So yes, The Court Jester, released in 1955 when I Was Not Alive, stars Danny Kaye as Hubert Hawkins, who uh, is, is one of ours, Mom. He's, uh, he's Brooklyn, yep. a Brooklyn Jew, date-born David Daniel Kaminsky. Yep yeah
1: your father asked if we're related but i because i think we have kaminsky's or kamenetsky's in the
0: family but Hmm. probably so he's probably not our cousin Uh, he died like one week after i was born
1: that's interesting so maybe there is a soul connection
0: yeah yeah and given his journey in this movie i thought it was particularly a fun fact that he actually was knighted. He was knighted by Queen um, Margaret II of Denmark in 1983, I believe, after playing Hans Christian Andersen.
1: That's a good reason.
0: Also has Glennis Johns as Maid Jean, who, according to Wikipedia at least, is 98, the oldest Living Academy Award nominee.
1: Yeah, Glennis Johns is one of those people I know. I've seen her in a gazillion
0: things, and I can't name any. I just know her. I'm not 100% sure I actually have seen her in anything. Nothing jumped out to me of the, uh, the things I was looking at. Basil Rathbone uh, as Ravenhurst, however, I have in fact uh, covered on this podcast because he is Sergei of Gisborne in The Adventures of Robin Hood, the 1938 film.
1: He's the most famous Sherlock Holmes that ever yes. lived on film.
0: Yes, which I know, although I'm not, I think maybe I've seen at least a clip of that or something. But yes, this is not his first time playing a medieval villain.
1: And it's, it's not the last time he played a villain. Every so often, he plays a bad guy. But I won't tell you in which movies, because, you know, it's
0: a spoiler. But he's he's a very good bad guy. He's kind of nicely sinister in a slightly campy way. Suave. Yeah. suave, sinister, and campy. Yeah, yeah. And finally, Angela Lansbury is Gwendolyn. And I, of course, knew Angela Lansbury had once been young. But in my head, she's absolutely just Jessica Fletcher and Murder, She Wrote. And, like, (laughs) animated, but the uh, the teapot in uh, Beauty and the Beast. And also, she is the grandmother in the the animated Anastasia.
1: People who see a lot of old movies, it is always so much fun to see her playing a very, very young kitchen maid in a mystery thriller called Gaslight with, I'm pretty sure, Bur- Ingr- Ingrid Bergman.
0: Ah, which is where the term gaslighting came from, right?
1: Well, in my, I don't know which came first, but yes, okay. that's what the movie is about.
0: And she is actually in uh, some a few years after this, but that's already a sort of matriarchal role. She's in The Manchurian Candidate, the original what? one.
1: The Gaslight might be her first movie. And for us older folks, you can't leave out Mildred Natwick. She plays
0: Griselda, yes. She
1: plays Griselda, and she was in a TV show with, could it be Helen Hayes? One of the other women of about her age. They call the Snook Sisters, which was a lot of fun many years ago. And she was the mother of, I guess, Jane Fonda in Barefoot in the Park. And hmm. she was just perfect, absolutely perfect for everything she ever did.
0: Hmm. Uh, yep, she was, she was great. So at this point, we can get into the numeratio or recap, uh, where we go through the basic plot of the film, which opens with a song. Life could not better be. I, uh, I appreciate being like non-Dark Ages, medieval perspective no absolutely you know watching this in you know the particular moment of like late may 2022 by you know watching this i'm like it could it could be better
1: could be better it was really beautiful to lead on it's one of the nicest credits i've ever seen when they have the name of the bad guy and danny k keeps trying to punch his name off the screen
0: (laughs) yes yeah it's very
1: charming otherwise people say why do you people keep laughing it's a very funny movie
0: it's very funny i will say i am not a hundred percent sure that i realized in advance of starting the movie either that it was a comedy or that it was a musical oh oh, okay sorry i was not i was not warned about those things so uh, uh, no. I, I i really went in blind as a you know but you know compared to some other uh movies for which i basically went in blind and that was horrified you know this was a pretty good went in blind and was kind of pleasantly surprised because this was sort of because you know it was fun all
1: right i'll put genre alerts on my to-do list
0: <laughs> and it includes also the line that we did research and authenticity was a must but what, what did we find a lot of dust
1: See, I wasn't sure what that meant. I thought it meant that you can't always be sure of what you're reading and some things are obscure in history.
0: I interpreted it very literally as somebody who has done a lot of archival research and is about to go and do more archival research, finally, thanks to the pandemic not being over exactly, but travel being possible. And you you do find a lot of dust. I would constantly come home from the archives with my clothes literally covered in dust, that there is actually dust on old books. So that was my interpretation is that it's literal dust.
1: But I thought it was great that they did research and they admitted to doing research and were proud of having done research. I thought
0: that was great. Absolutely. And I do think that the claim that authenticity was a must uh, was somewhat tongue-in-cheek, since I don't exactly think that was uh, always necessarily the goal. Though, you know, it's not, not necessarily the worst offender. But, of course, the entire overall plot is not, in fact, about a specific real person or a series of events. Yeah, well,
1: it depends. Doesn't anybody think Robin Hood was really real? Now, I think pretty much not,
0: no. (laughs) Uh, And then in addition, right, I mean, the, so the, the essential premise, right, is that there's a King Roderick of England who, you know, is not a real person there. There was not a King Roderick. Roderick of England massacred the entire previous royal family. uh, And with the exception that it turns out there is this one baby who can be, in fact, proven to be of the royal family because he has the birthmark on his butt of the purple pimpernel
1: which of course is a riff or a joke on the scarlet pimpernel right yes there's a lot of stuff like that in in the movie the riffs on various quotes and names and yes they're all anachronistic and they're all very
0: yes absolutely but yeah so this is not referring to a real series of events so obviously there are changeovers that are sometimes brutal certainly between different royal houses etc but it's not a specific real set of events and we also do meet that we have uh, our our sort of robin hood stand in in the form of the black fox although you noted that there's another referent for this particular character
1: somebody thinks he's more like zara than he is like robin hood because of
0: his costume i can see See, because he had, well, he sort of combines them, right? Because he does, he does have a mask, which is sort of Zorro esque, but right. the rest of it, he's mostly, in fact, despite being called the Black Fox, he's mostly wearing green. And the obviously, The cool. Outlaws in the Forest is sort of obviously Robin Hood.
1: And the other thing is, this is what Basil Rathbone seems to do when he's not being Sherlock Holmes. He goes into these period <sighs> movies, and so he Robin actually it. is a super duper sword fighter. And he plays hmm. the bad guy in all these movies, and he loses the
0: sword fight at the end of the movie. Right. <laughs> so right. he did that in Zorro, too. <laughs> right. <laughs> Poor, Basil Rathbone. Poor Basil Rathbone. So we learn that the baby, right, is with the black fox, uh, but we also have our scene at court. Uh, there is a lot of color, which I really appreciate. We also meet both the king and we meet, uh, we meet Basil Rathbone as a uh, Ravenhurst and a few other courtiers who are, I don't know, various degrees of unsavory. And his daughter, Gwendolyn, who first of all, like, does not give a fuck that he's talking about the fact that he nearly died. She like barely looks up at him. <laughs> not that you can totally blame her. And uh, he then also in this scene tells her that he has decided that she's going to marry someone named Griswold, who he is going to, he wants to kind of cement this alliance with. Like many women in medieval movies, she's like a princess who has somehow never heard of the concept of arranged marriages.
1: I think she has. She just doesn't want to marry this particular
0: guy who's not supposed to be very nice. Well, at first she says that, and then she says, I'm going to marry for love. And then she says, like, it's fated. My my witch said so. Or, you know, Griselda, <laughs> Griselda said so. <laughs> <laughs> and we have this sort of half-hearted Roderick's like, like, we're going to burn her as a witch, and, Griselt, and and Gwendolyn's like, don't you dare, I'll, you know, throw myself out the window. And he's like, oh, fine,
1: <laughs> I like them to always very half-hearted. I, I think that's enough. I don't think they burned witches then, but...
0: No, this is a... I mean, it, it's not actually clear what year this takes place specifically, but if we're assuming vaguely Robin Hood-ish times... Right. That would be before witch persecution is something that would be really at all a significant phenomenon. And also in England specifically, they hanged rather than burned witches.
1: Okay, well, then definitely not true. Definitely not true. They didn't do that, not authentic.
0: It's when we, we get back to the forest is when I first realized, oh, I guess this is a musical because, you know, a song in the over the credits, right, is one thing. It could just oh, be that song. <laughs> now that there's like a, you know, an in universe song. Now I'm like, oh, I guess this is a musical uh, that the Black Fox has a song about how you can't out Fox the Fox.
1: That's yes. the one where Danny Kaye is unmasked, right? That he's not the yes. Fox because he's been pretending and or having fun. And we're supposed to, as the audience, think Danny Kaye is the Black Box, but he's not. Yes,
0: yes, that's right. But uh, he's he's in fact just uh, just the minstrel. And he brings along as well, this troop of little people who are assorted acrobats and tumblers. And essentially he seems to be suggesting that they should replace him as the entertainers while he can then go and actually fight, which uh, gets shut down because they don't want to have to feed all these extra people.
1: Oh, it's actually very nice the way he argues on their behalf for a long time. And for a long time refuses to take no for an answer that they will be useful. They can do this. They can do that.
0: Yes. No, that, that is very nice. And, you know, not, and not very nice, of course, of the Fox to, to dismiss them. And, you know, and I will say I, it would have been nice if at least one or two of them could have been a bit more of a, of a proper character. Right. But I do like that they, as a group, at least have an arc of, in fact, affirming that they have value. (laughs)
1: I don't think we could have had a happy ending with them. Absolutely. You wanna hear more about them now or wait till we get to the truth? Yeah, why don't you share why don't you
0: share your research on them now?
1: They're actually were under they they were in Europe and then they had to get the hell out of Europe because it was in nineteen thirty eight or so mm-hmm. and I guess they got invited to the World's Fair that we had here. Uh So they got the hell out of Austria because they knew what was happening to little people, disabled people, Mm -hmm. people people who were not, you know, what the Nazis wanted. So once they got here, they stayed and did vaudeville movies, TV, but on the way from Austria here, they passed by Hungary found two jewish little people that's two strikes against you so they re- took them into their group
0: mm-hmm. and they all escaped to the united states that's awesome yeah good for them and i'm you know i'm i'm glad they got hired and got paid well for this movie
1: and her they're called really hermione's well. little people or whatever that hermione is um She's a Czech woman who had her Hmm. stepson find them Mm -hmm. for to be in a circus. So they were brought over here for the World's Fair as a circus act, and it just worked out very well time-wise.
0: Wow. Very interesting. We have the Black Fox and his people are the ones who have the, the baby with the purple pimpernel. Hawkins is the one whose job it is to hold the baby and expose the top of his posterior with the purple pimpernel. So that people could say, oh, your majesty, at this baby's butt. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I find it up, interesting dappel dappel up, dappel that he says something at this point, like, shouldn't this be done by a woman? But other than that, he is, whenever he's with the baby, he seems a like a perfectly competent caretaker.
1: Oh, he's a wonderful caretaker. He waltzes around and keeps the yeah. people
0: from crying. And- yeah, no, like this is more than, as far as I can tell from Reddit and My the Asshole posts, more than 80% of men do with their children.
1: We can get to more of it later, but I think the gender politics in this movie is better than nearly everything today, where the only reason you have women in movies is to kill them.
0: Yeah, I agree with that assessment. I was, like, very pleasantly surprised. You know, not 100% perfect, obviously nothing is, almost nothing is, but I thought way, way better than I would have anticipated. And, of course, related to that, we also meet Maid Jean, who is one of, who is a captain, and, you know, a woman who is a captain among the, uh, the Black Foxes group. And she's, yeah, I, I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, and she seems to be to be perfectly competent. Oh, more than, she's as uh, clever as hell. Oh, yeah, I mean, and, and you, like increasingly as she, you know, she's a major character, right? And as we get more and more of her, I think she's really great. But even in this initial introduction, it's at least very clear that she is competent and that everybody respects her. Right she's never mocked for being a woman or it's not there's no claim there's no sense that her authority is undermined at all by her being a woman i
1: thought that was great she's great and she doesn't you know she's not oh falling for the you know what do they call those the bad boys right like the nice guy i thought she's what she's my favorite woman in all movie history
0: yeah no i thought (laughs) i thought she was great yeah so the two of them are tasked with now transporting this kid because they they learned that the king that King Roderick has figured out that they have this baby in the forest. And so they need to get the baby out of the forest and they're taking the baby to this abbey in Dover. Hawkins dresses up as an elderly man who's a wine merchant to and claims Jean is his granddaughter. And they put the, the baby in a basket in a
1: cart. basket in the casket.
0: <laughs> yes, the basket and the casket. There's a lot of rhymes. Uh, a lot of actually rhyming and alliteration, which I think is, in fact, very medieval. And a lot of stolen quotes from Shakespeare. Yes, yes, which I'm, I'm sure I didn't get all of them, but I certainly caught some of them.
1: It's the kind of thing. I must have caught four or six, which makes me think there were probably 20. Right,
0: yeah, exactly
1: but my 48 hours of renting the movie had run out and I didn't see it for the second time to see if I could catch more quotes. Right.
0: They go off together. I will say there is the the one comedic scene that I was a little like "Eh, eh," on was this scene where they're in disguise and are trying to allay the suspicions of the king's soldiers who they run into. And He's sort of, you know, he's pretending to be very old and to maybe not necessarily hear that well. And then they claim that the daughter, that gene, is a deaf mute. And there is this whole thing with like what I assume is like faux sign language. And that scene did feel a little to me like it's using disability, like real disabilities, but like feigned but real in reality, real disabilities as a joke.
1: Yes, I can see that. But it it worked. I mean, they didn't have yeah. too many options, and it's a classic joke. It's usually in foreign languages as opposed to sign language. When one of the parties goes on talking forever, and the bad guy says, "What did he just say?" and the answer is, "He said no." Right. Nice. So they they did that with sign language as opposed to foreign languages so and
0: that part didn't necessarily bother me and then they're like oh stutters which like yeah then sort of seems like it's making fun of stuttering so you know so this is a scene that i would say didn't feel like it held up as much to me in terms of right. okay making jokes that i would hope they might think twice about before making in 2022
1: Though he but we also does speak 87 languages I mean you're a better judge than I am, but there's one part in the movie where Danny Kaye is speaking Italian and French and German and the accent sounds great to me.
0: The accent sounded great. He is not, I think, saying entirely what Your sentences. <laughs> So he did a really good job on the accents, but it's, you know, it's real words, but it's not actually from oh, what okay. I got of the French and Italian. The Spanish later actually is okay, but the French and Italian and my German isn't good enough to be sure about that. The French and Italian struck me as he's basically speaking, like, not exactly gibberish, but like a sort of series of not entirely connected um, words okay. and phrases.
1: See, I'd have to watch that again, too, because I thought the French was sort of okay, but I, yeah, another $4 I'm going to have to pay to this again. Right.
0: But the accent was good. And we do, again, like, as they're traveling together, um, the baby, fortunately, you know, doesn't cry until after all of this. And at the shed that they're hiding in, I think it's really nice, again, that he he takes care of the kid. He does not hand the baby immediately over to the woman. What? I thought that was very nice.
1: And she actually, every time she has the baby, she hands them off to somebody else. <laughs> usually a man, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> If it's either him or the guy that with the whistle signal, yeah.
0: Right, yeah. No, she's really not holding on to this baby very frequently. They're... In this uh, shed somewhere, and uh, he's clearly interested in her, but she's really the one who actually, I think, takes really the initiative in terms Absolutely. of flirting with him. and basically saying, you know, we're you know we're going to basically like saying like we're going to have to share this bed, and uh, you know, saying like, oh, I need have to move your arm up there, and I'll kind of you know snuggle underneath it. Uh, <laughs> you know, she, as I said, very much takes the initiative. He asks, like, could you be attracted to a man who wasn't a fighter? And she basically says, you know, she's attracted to kindness and um, yeah. you know other. Kinds of qualities. It's really very nice. It was beautiful. Yeah, and of course, the one obstacle, of course, in her plan, their plan, is the fact that, well, we can't prioritize this at the moment, right? We can't prioritize our romance while we have all of these things to do to eventually put this infant on the throne.
1: Which is right. You've him. Can... Yeah, and you can probably
0: still get married they're in a shed hiding from everybody i I didn't say imminently but i meant like i don't think they actually have to wait until this baby is 20 to get married Um, i thought it proved her
1: priorities i did yes
0: Yes, no, it was, it was a little, it was a little contrived, but it certainly did indicate that, yes, her priority was, you know, her values and her goals, and I did appreciate that. Uh, and she talks about how her father wanted her to, you know, taught her to love freedom, to hate injustice, and to use weapons, and says that he wanted her to be a boy, which I am going to talk about more later. Okay. And then as their attempt, as you know, as they're attempting to have some kind of a friendly, intimate interaction... Giacomo of the Continent enters, which I thought was hilarious that he's not Giacomo of Italy or Giacomo of France. He's Giacomo of the Continent, as if it is a single entity.
1: What for all I know it is to English people.
0: I think even the English knew that there were differences, Or at least they, well, at least they did in the 13th century. I suppose I can't speak to now. Uh, <laughs> where they seem to think maybe it's all the same. But, but I found it very funny that he's Giacomo's of the continent. He introduces himself as the King's New Jester, uh, most recently from the Italian court. My quibble is that there's of course, very, very far from being an Italian court. Oh, good point. Or an Italy, you know? Introduces himself, emphasizes all of his great qualities, though as we'll see, maybe not quite all of his qualities, introduces himself as Giacomo King, the incomparable Giacomo King of Jester's Jester of Kings, and as he's in the middle of this spiel for the second time, Jane hits him over the head. Yeah. yeah. Yes, her father told her how to do
1: that. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Because she hears from him, right, that he is going to be as the jester, right? An intimate of the king. And that this means that, you know, she's mentioned before, right? That one possible plan to speed up things would be that somebody who is an intimate of the king can get into his chambers and get this key to open up a secret passageway.
1: Because so, that's the problem. The secret passageway has been locked.
0: Yes. And, and then only the, the king the has the secret passageway yeah. Now. Hawkins can go, and you know he's he's a minstrel already, right? So he has relevant skills, and so he can go and uh, pretend to be Giacomo, King of Jesters, and uh, get the key.
1: Can't remember when he says it, but at some point, I think it's Danny Kay, not the other guy, the real Giacomo, says, "What kind of man is Giacomo?" Now that sounded familiar to me. What matter of man is Giacomo? Mm-hmm. So it's. So I googled that. It's from Matthew talking about Jesus (laughs) in a chapter where he performs miracle after miracle after
0: miracle. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. And she also instructs him that they have a secret confederate and that he should do their whistle call in order to, you know, in, indicate who the secret confederate is. And then he says, why can't you just tell me the name of this person? And she says, well, I can't because, you know, if then they end up catching you, then you might give it away. And he's like, why don't you think I could, you know, handle it? And she, then she goes into some detail about the tortures they'll perform. and He just goes something like, yeah, question withdrawn.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Pulling I out the fingernails i appreciate the like lack of uh, like toxic masculinity right i mean i appreciate that it's not this standard if you're a real man and a real hero you should be able to withstand all of these horrific tortures and i feel like that's very common especially in these things set in the middle ages
1: yes yeah no he he, he's way more heroic with his personality than you know people who often portray themselves as heroes are Mm
0: -hmm. and yeah no he's he's very good
1: self-assessment
0: absolutely and he's very heroic and as i said you know he he very much is but you know he has a very clear you know good self-assessment right he knows exactly what his skills are and wants to challenge himself but also isn't unreasonable in terms of his self-assessment, and uh, you know, overall, I think uh, you know is a is a very good example, right, of a kind of non non toxic man, and <laughs> the, so the fact
1: that he doesn't assume that
0: she's going to be interested in him just because he's interested in her, right, and just or just because he's such a nice guy, <laughs> right. <laughs> Back at the castle, Gwendolyn again refuses marriage with a Grim Grizzly and Bruce and Griswold. Uh, there are a lot of genies in this movie, which yes, especially- the and the alliteration. Right, and I like, I like the alliteration, but it also means so that there is in total, there is Griswold, Griselda, Gwendolyn, and oh Giacomo. Yeah, that's, oh wow, yeah. So it really stuck out to me, because I was uh, I was handwriting some of my notes while watching, and uh, every now and then when I do that, I abbreviate names to just the first letter, which I absolutely could not do for this movie. I mean, as
1: soon as I hear Griselda, I think patient Griselda, but mm-hmm. I, there wasn't a connection at all, I don't think.
0: No, I don't think there was. I assume that they just picked it as presumably because of Chaucer, right, something that they think of as a sort of vaguely medieval, medieval sounding name. name, right? I mean, you know, Gwendolyn obviously kind of evokes Guinevere, and I don't think that's exactly a direct parallel either. Oh, okay. I think that it's really was sort of sort of just, right, that it was kind of medieval sounding, and that she certainly doesn't have a great deal in common with uh, Patient right. Griselda. She is quite put upon... She is, yes, she's very put upon. He's
1: threatened more than anybody in this movie. I mean, he physical is. threats yeah. every five minutes.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. We also learn from Ravenshurst that apparently Giacomo secretly was brought not just as a jester, but for oh, his oh. other skills as an assassin, which, of course, Giacomo, the king of jesters and the jester of kings, neglected to inform these strangers in a barn. And therefore, Hawkins has no idea.
1: Right, because there are court factions. The three guys, I can't remember their names for the life of me, they're the ones in favor of this alliance. Basil Blackbone yes. is not, though frankly, I don't know why not. But he is. I included. thought it
0: was because it's going to ultimately make the king too powerful and he kind of wants to supplant the king at some point.
1: Oh, okay. So I know we've been going on, but <laughs> everything so far. Is really a prelude to the main action and to Danny Kaye's real skill. Yes, right. It's a setup for the whole situation.
0: Yes, because, of course, his skills are both, you know, skills as a minstrel jester and also skills in terms of being really able to kind of talk his way in and out of various things, right? So he's able to kind of pass himself off to, as the soldiers, as, you know, as Giacomo, I think they challenge him on the fact that he speaks English so well, and that he says, I speak every language so well, and, you know, Perrino has this... uh, (laughs) kind of rapid fire, you know, German, French, Italian.
1: But Danny case, um, physical skills, what he can do yes. with his face.
0: Yeah, abso- yeah absolutely. Fun. So he is now arriving. Jean, meanwhile, is gathered up into this, like, pen of ladies.
1: Oh, that's right. They're going to have a wedding celebration. This part really
0: reminded or me a, of Purim. Right, or like a betrothal celebration right. for Gwendolyn he- and Griswold. Ugh.
1: So he's collecting all the quote wenches, yes, of the city or the kingdom or whatever it
0: is. But yeah, collect the wenches. I will note: betrothals usually not celebrated by kidnapping random women you find on the street, right? But I think that the yeah, so
1: that she gets caught up in that and put on a cart
0: she's got the baby still and she manages to signal to their confederate so fergus the hostler and he manages to extract this child from the basket i have a lot of practical questions about if anyone in this movie has ever fed this child or changed the diet they've sung to him <laughs> It's, like, a That's really important. long time where it seems like they kind of have the baby, like, stashed in a basket in the corner with relatively little, like, active care, and I'm a little worried about, yes, the, like, feeding and diaper changing of this baby.
1: And the baby did cry for a minute, and then they said, isn't that nice? The baby didn't cry while the king's men were right. around. But, yeah, no, it's, it's not the most realistic way of how to <laughs> care for a child over, what, three days?
0: Yeah, the, the baby's really more of an accessory than, like, a realistic uh, problem. It's very cute. Very cute, yes. And there are, like, two scenes where we actually see the baby. Because most of the time, I think there isn't even a baby. Like, most of the time, there's really, I think, probably just a basket. But we
1: see the baby a lot. They're always taking the little blankie off so we can see the
0: baby. I don't think they do that many times. I think most of the time that they're running back and forth with the basket, I'm sure there isn't a baby in there.
1: Uh, I'm going to put that on my list, too. Count baby face appearances when I watch the movie again.
0: <laughs> Makes sense, right? I mean, because first of all, you obviously need to, there's, I mean, there was already child labor laws in 1955, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, usually they just sort of hire triplets.
0: Yes, but, you know, and even then with that, right, you don't necessarily, if, like, the plot demands, like, a lot of, like, sort of tossing a basket back and forth, or oh, like don't I want actually, a real baby in there.
1: I just thought there actually were more appearances of the baby than I would have thought.
0: I guess there, There's a few, yeah, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of scenes with the basket where you never see the baby, and yeah, I'm assuming yeah, yeah. the baby isn't in the basket.
1: Yeah, I don't think they kept the baby in the casket
0: in the basket and stuck between takes <laughs> Giacomo, also, we learned, really seems to have agreed to assassinate a whole lot of people. Right, hmm. That's a bunch. Yep, De- decent amount of people. Gwendolyn is not happy because it's the eve of Griswold's arrival. She is not happy about this marriage and basically tells Griselda, like, yeah, you and I are both going to poison ourselves uh, in- before I have to marry this dude. And also then uh, she accuses her of witchcraft and says, you know, I know you do the thing where you look people in the eyes and manage to, you know, bend them to your will. And Griselda, clearly just trying to not be forced to drink poison, says, oh, well, that that guy who showed up today, Jester, that's your true love.
1: (laughs) But she threatens her with poison. She threatens her with a knife. She threatens to throw her out of the tower window.
0: Yeah, 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 a whole
1: lot of a whole lot of different deaths for poor Griselda the witch.
0: Griselda gets threatened a lot, and the other thing is that Gwendolyn threatens suicide all the time.
1: That's how she bends her father to her will. Yeah. I'll kill myself if you make me do this. I'll have to say he, she must have been quite a, a untoward, girl. If he keeps sort of believing her most of the time until it gets too much for him.
0: I mean, you know, she really does, she really does have this kind of, like, deadpan that she's just like, I will throw myself off this, t- off the window of the highest tower <laughs> if, you do, <laughs> if you do this.
1: Uh, oh boy, at, please, I am so sorry. I don't, I don't mean to laugh at suicidal impulses, but Angela very, really funny. Obviously, She's very good.
0: If it was true, it wouldn't be funny
1: at all. But yeah.
0: Yes. But she's, she's very, very good. And obviously threatening suicide is also not funny, but yes, but yes, but it, it they're very good. Hawkins is, you know, really getting into his role and he's going around kind of whistling and humming the signal in the hopes of managing to come across their secret confederate. Then mistakes where the sound of whistling is coming from and mistakenly thinks that Ravenhurst is actually
1: his his friend. I'm just going to say that every time you say Hawkins, I have no idea who you're talking about. Danny Because I, cause I just say Danny K, So I have to translate in my head. And the same with Ravenshurst. As I just translate. Yeah. So, okay. If I, I sort of sound or look confused, it's because I forgot the name of the character.
0: <laughs> Ravenshurst, of course, thinks that he is an assassin. But it's one of those kind of classic uh, comedic right. things, right, where they have this whole chat where they both have a completely different understanding of what it is that the other is saying. Right. Since, of course, they are both plotting, but about very different things. Right. And they are confederates, but not for the
1: conspiracy they think they're confederates for.
0: Well, right, because the real Giacomo is supposed to aid Ravenshurst in this other plot.
1: Right. And Danny Kay thinks that Ravenshurst is conspiring with him to you know, bring the baby to the throne.
0: Right. And is very surprised. <laughs> he didn't seem like the type. He's like, do they know? <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Okay. And anyway, so back to, I think we're back to Griselda. You
1: uh, have to get Danny Kay to love Gwendolyn.
0: Before we do have the whole uh, oh. bit where he's having that conversation with the king, right? And uh, the king is asking, you know, what's going on with the Duke and the Doge after, you know, what happened with the Duchess? And he invents this lengthy, complicated, and very alliterative and rhyming story which I think might involve them all mutually killing each other. And then the king is very the surprised. The Duchess of Urba. Urba. Yes, the king is then very surprised because the Duchess just had a bout of rheumatism because she's 83. But he manages to pass it off as, you know, he was joking the whole time, right. of course. So yeah, then we have Griselda, who now needs to enchant Bo Giacomo into being in love with the princess and has this whole spell that he'll get knocked in and out of by snapping. Right. And what she
1: doesn't do, so I thought when she set it up that she snapped her fingers to get him into this trance and then she snapped her fingers to get him out. But it seems that any finger snapping, yes. anybody doing it. So, for the next 45 minutes, people are snapping, and he's in, and he's out, and he's in, and he's out, and he's two totally different people. Yes. In one, he's the suave, debonair hero who knows how to sword fight, and in the other one, he's, you know, nice, sweet, what'd you say, his name is Hawkins? Yes. <laughs> You know, that doesn't have all these particular skills and his his face changes, his posture changes. Yes.
0: Yeah, which is really, really well done. There's then, of course, in a comedy of errors. So at this point, Jean, by virtue of getting into the castle as one of the like random kidnapped wenches, has gone and popped into the king's chamber and grabbed the key. So she now has the key. She gives it to him. He then, because he's then he's in this other persona and he's going to seduce Gwendolyn, he then gives her the key. Right. And then it
1: drops to the floor and was that, oh, the, the king comes in. and The gets king comes it, so in it and he's, right, he's
0: holding it and she's holding it and at some point she drops it and the king's saying like, oh, it's like, it's, you know, I knew you finally come around and then he drops it and then she drops the key and he's like, God damn it. Yes, and meanwhile, there is this kind of constant snapping in this interaction, he's, like, basically hanging, like, off the window, and is very chill about this when he's in his, like, fancy Giacomo persona, and very not chill about this when he's Hawkins.
1: Oh, when he's Giacomo, he's better than Tarzan, the way he's, and they really are, I mean, that's not really, really, but in the movie, they're with Dover Castle. So right. this castle is really high up and it's got all these cliffs and then it's got, what, the English Channel down there? Right, right. <laughs> and he's swinging from <laughs> window to window of this castle on
0: this rope when he's, you know, when he's bewitched. <laughs> right. During all of this, he also at some point <laughs> meets with Ravenshurst and, you know, pl- and agrees to the- these multiple assassinations. right. While he's still in his persona, he also, because he doesn't know who Jean is, it seems he accidentally, you know, donates her to the king as his like top wench of the evening.
1: I think they don't know what each other has done. I no, mean, both of them different are very personas. They- yes.
0: And specifically that Griselda then actually, you know, says specifically, like, you won't know what's happened, right. what happened previously when you were in the other persona, now that I'm knocking you out of the spell, you really, you'll have no idea, and you'll think you just fell asleep, and he, in fact, is like, oh, I feel so bad, I was supposed to have this meeting with Ravenshurst, which he, of course, thought was about something completely different.
1: Right. He does know, doesn't he, that Gwendolyn thinks they're going to get married or something? No. He doesn't know that.
0: No. Because I think when it gets revealed, I think he's genuinely shocked. Oh,
1: okay. So the only person who knows that besides Gwendolyn
0: and those people
1: is Griselle. No, Captain Jean. Does she know? He sees them together. That's right. That's right. So she's yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, at some point she thinks she figures something out. At some point, the baby, when he's now his true self, the baby, the basket baby gets passed off to him. The king keeps asking about the basket. He has to, he kind of goes into this whole song, which has like a kind of faux origin story about his uh, uh, past and his kind of path towards becoming a jester. And meanwhile, while he's performing, Griselda, who I guess knows that he agreed to assassinate all of these people and doesn't want him to kind of blow his cover on that, so she puts poison in the goblets of all of these people.
1: Yeah, they... I mean, we should say that it's not our fault. If this sounds like a very complicated plot, it's because it is.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Brookers, Finn's and, dancing. and
1: Oh, okay. Even with singing and dancing, it's a complicated plot.
0: It oh, is oh. a complicated plot. Yes, you know. So he, so you know, he's doing this performance. He creates a distraction so that Jean can escape with the basket. Also, inadvertently creates a distraction which allows Griselda to poison all of these people. And they have a toast, and all of these people die. And the king doesn't seem to care a whole lot. No, but Ra- and Ravenshurst is very impressed. Right. See, I told you he could do the job. Right. Griswold turns up. He's large yeah. and has a Scottish accent. <laughs> Oh, I didn't catch the accent, okay. Mm -hmm. Gwendolyn announces that she won't marry Griswold and that she loves another. And she kind of goes through this whole thing and Giacomo or, you know, Hawkins as Giacomo, right, is, you know, singing, is like singing this, like, like follow-up to her. And he really, I think in this scene, when like the song, you know, he's continuing the song and he's like, you know, oh, she loves Giacomo. And he's like, oh, oh shit, that's me. (laughs) so i I think he was really surprised oh okay you're right she also i think they initially you know she threatens to commit suicide once again if he is executed oh the king
1: decided to execute him just for having a thing with the daughter or being somebody the daughter wants to marry
0: and griswold challenges him to a
1: duel which can't happen because he's not noble
0: right and so they put into process i guess that he's going to go through all of these tests so he can be knighted ultimately
1: so some people think that's the funniest part of the movie that this five-year initiation takes place in
0: four minutes and that like other people are doing everything, right? And he's like, Oh, you have to like shoot this animal with an arrow. And he's like, I never even shot the arrow. It's just like you <laughs> know, mean, Raven's yeah. her, it's like one of Raven's first men from behind, you know, from behind him shoots the arrow. Yes.
1: Yep, past yes, everything. So,
0: yes. so he goes through this whole initiation scene. It's announced that they're going to have this combat. Gwendo- Gwendolyn is going to wed the victor. So
1: Joan has already had her thing with the king. She's about she's about he, to. Oh, okay. yeah.
0: So the, the one other thing is that at this point, Ravenshurst had, the, it turns out that Giacomo had, had in fact met one person at court and that's the person who was the Uh-oh. secret agent of Ravenshurst who says, you know, and Ravenshurst is like, that you guys are doing such a good job. And he's like, yeah, except for one small problem, that is not Giacomo. And at that point, they also think, they decide they think that he is in fact the Black Fox. Who so
1: everybody wants dead because he's anti authority. Yes, yes. Well,
0: and also, I think Raven's also doesn't want, or there, he's not really anti authority in the same way that Robin Hood's not really anti authority. He wants this, like, baby on the throne.
1: He's anti usurper. Okay. He wants yes. The baby.
0: And Ravenshurst presumably doesn't want that either, because I think Ravenshurst wants him to be, wants himself to be on the throne. One with them. And he just wants to usurp the usurper, which is presumably not any better from the Black Fox's perspective. Right. But this is when Jean has her scene with the king. Yes. Oh, Okay which is excellent. So first she kind of seduces him so that she could recover the king. And then because she obviously doesn't want to sleep with him, she uh, masterfully unseduces him by starting to go on about the scourge that killed everybody in her family, which is presented as essentially simultaneously uh, genetic and also catching. It's ages and genetic, ages. <laughs> At some point it's like, you know, you know, you you don't want to, you know, what? Like, we can take the risk because it's so it's so great for us to be together. We can take the risk of your catching Breckenridge's score scourge and he goes, "Who's Breckenridge?" Who's Breckenridge? Yes. yes, who's, who's Breckenridge? Breckenridge? <laughs> My father.
1: <laughs> she is so brilliant and so quick thinking. Yes, and and her plans don't go awry except when she gave the baby to Fergus, who's killed. But that wasn't her fault.
0: Her plans only go awry insofar as none of the men are as competent as she is. Right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so that's okay, a, that sums it up.
0: Good. Yeah. You know, in through things that are not necessarily entirely the fault of their own, I suppose nobody could have anticipated uh, Hawkins being enchanted by a witch.
1: Right. By, right.
0: But other than that, but, you know, but yeah, but I think that is ultimately that I think she is 100% competent. and The problem is that none of the men are as competent. Okay.
1: Though <laughs> so somebody might have foreseen. And, and, and yes, okay. Yes. Yes. You can't you can't foresee every, you know, thing that could possibly happen when you have two seconds to come up with a plan.
0: And also you can't do everything yourself. You have to delegate right. and you only have the people that you have in this particular scenario. So, you know, what's what's she gonna do? Right. So I don't think we can fault her for these men not being up to the task. Right. She goes to warn Hawkins of uh, the fact run. that, you know, they're, you know, to run, they're going to, you know, they're just setting this up so they can kill you. He tries to run and then basically ends up like running into the procession leading him forward to be knighted.
1: Okay, so those people, the Jackson, Michigan, Zawabi Drilty, and they're a U.S. Civil War reenactment group. And they they do this high-speed marching thing. It's brilliantly choreographed. And the way that, I can't even describe what they do. They're in like a cross shape. Yeah. And they're moving around. And Danny Kaye keeps switching from line to line so he's never at the front
0: right because he has to be their
1: intricacies it's, it's a brilliantly choreographed number
0: oh yeah absolutely and very very impressively done physically speaking you know yeah. for, for all, well, all these to, people be, yeah. yeah yeah and it's a brilliantly choreographed but also brilliantly carried out yes
1: but that's what they do these people go yeah. to a civil i don't know how they can do it as a reenactment they didn't do that in the civil war <laughs> but i guess they know the kind of certain precision movements and then somebody right. the, you know yeah rifle up rifle down whatever
0: right but danny Kay too obviously does an he, excellent job he's amazing i love oh. i love danny Kay more than anybody when i was growing up i am not a hundred percent sure i had heard of him until you suggested we watch this movie okay so Griswold uh, challenges Giacomo to this duel. Jean tells him that he should accept the challenge because the Black Fox is going to come and fight in your place. But it turns out that he is going to the lists, like, immediately. Gwendolyn is not pleased and basically tells Griselda, do something about this. <laughs> oh, I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, if he, die, if he dies, you die. Right, if he dies, you die. There's a lot of that. <laughs> Unfortunately, however, so Jean sends the messenger, the uh, Ravenshurst unfortunately, overhears. Fergus, I think, gets killed at this point, right? Oh, y- yeah,
1: either there or a tiny bit before, yeah.
0: Right, and there also is, and this wasn't them, this wasn't- I mean, ex-
1: he's, executed. He, yeah, he's executed. Yeah, he's executed for being a spy or a traitor or whatever.
0: Yes, and also, meanwhile, there, somebody does reach the Black Fox, but then there's like a rock slide or something. Yeah,
1: it's a rock slide or a landslide, and they can't get through their side of the secret passage to the castle. Right, yes.
0: There's only a little bit of room. Yes, and says something like, (laughs) only somebody, I think they say the size of a child, could get through. And then it says,
1: (gasps) Ah, Call back the little people. And that's one of the great things about the movie.
0: Yeah. So Griselda, meanwhile, has her own plan, which is that she's they're going to do a toast before they have their duel, and she puts poison in one of the cups. And so there's this, the you know, which poison, are not the magic cups. The poison in the pellets in the vessel. The pellet the, the pellet with the poisons in What's, the vessel with the, pestle, with the pestle. The Dragon. chalice with the pallet. For, well, first it's the chalice it's with the pallet, pallet that has yeah. the brew that is true.
1: And then eventually, it's the flagon with the dragon has the poison in the pellet.
0: They broke the chalice with the pellet, so now the flagon with the dragon has the, po- has the pellet with the poison. Right. We're having and the, difficulty. And the
1: puzzle, uh, yeah, oh, I'd have to read. You can read it, it's all over the internet. And the vessel in the pestle has the brew that is true. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're having and difficulty. I'm trying to memorize this. And he gets yes. totally confused. And then what? They tell Griswold also hears about it. Well, so
0: he's getting he's already confused. He's more confused after that it switches, right? And then as he's kind of repeating itself to it to himself to try and memorize it, one of Griswold's men overhears. Oh, so now right. we have Griswold and Griswold and and Hawkins walk up to each other, both badly buttering <laughs>
1: and thing. dragons
0: and petals and vessels. Right, and then they're basically fighting over the vessel with the pestle, because it turns out now that's the one that isn't poisoned, and the king is so annoyed that he says, you've made a mockery of this whole thing, no toast, just go fight.
1: <laughs> and now the sword fight?
0: Yes, and also there's a bit where the armor gets, like, hit by lightning, and now it's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah! yeah.
1: And, uh, da- who, I can't remember, Danny Kay's armor, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Pelicans yeah. gets hit by lightning... So it becomes magnetized.
0: Yeah. So all of the so and that's also happening. So during the toast, they're they're fighting over this glass, and like the other guy is like sticking, like their like armor is sticking to each other.
1: And I, the other guy is much heftier than than Hawkins, so he keeps pulling him, and and Danny Kay is sort of slanted for much of that scene, right? His armor is being pulled over the other guy. <laughs>
0: Right. So they they have their duel. There's a bit where it looks like Griswold has chopped his head off, but he kind of, you know, his head kind of pops up. He just knocked his helmet off. Oh, they're jousting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They have everything. Oh, yes, they're jousting. At some point he manages to unhorse Griswold and then refuses to kill him. Uh, And there's a Othello line here that it says he loved not wisely, but too well. Right,
1: right. I'm not sure I can parse... The meaning of the Othello line to this one, because actually that's when he has killed Desdemona. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. yeah, yeah, he's killed her, and he says, "Oh, I loved her, not wisely, but too." Oh bullshit! Okay. You just kill your wife for no reason at all. You didn't love her at all. But at any rate, I think it's just one of those mishmash of of shakespeare quotes some of which have to do with kings and whatnot and and some don't but i don't think you can say oh this is the secret meaning behind why they picked this kind of quote
0: right yeah i i was not sure i could 100 percent parse parse that meaning right and especially
1: others i could do uneasy lies roderick's Crown, yes, which is way early because it is uneasy, as
0: you know. A king said that you know wears a crown, and of course, yeah, and this is added to by the fact that Othello is such a complicated character in the ways that you know. There's certainly an argument to me the whole portrayal is pretty racist, and so like, there's like so much going on at Othello that I am not sure what they're doing with that quote.
1: I think it's just a famous quote.
0: Yes, I I think that's true as well. To his own chagrin, the king is about to marry Gwendolyn to Giacomo, or faux Giacomo, when Ravenshurst reveals that, in fact, he's the Black Fox, and that Jean is his accomplice. Wait a minute. Ravenhurst can't be the Black Fox. No, Ravenshurst reveals that, well, he says that, I mean, he's wrong, obviously, but he says that Hawkins slash Giacomo oh, 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 is the Black okay. Fox.
1: Okay, sorry, yes. pronoun,
0: pronoun alert. Yes. And, you know, and find like they and, you know, they get the basket and they find and, you know, start to find this baby. But meanwhile, of course, it turns out that the Black Fox has sent this troop of little people through the passageway. And so they all enter. And that's really why. Right. We actually have like a battle as opposed to having all of our heroes get killed.
1: And I could not begin to describe that battle. But it's is—it's another thing that's absolutely brilliant how the the little people between ropes and little shields and this and this manage to more than hold their own. And it's also just beautifully choreographed, beautifully executed. It's
0: wonderful. Yeah, it's a nicely shot, very well done battle. (laughs) Yeah, a nicely shot, very well done battle. Uh, Hawkins, you know, says like, yes, I am the Black Fox. And uh, he has also an extended one-on-one fight with Ravenshurst. I think we get another, if you die, you die, dead man <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> from Gwendolyn to Griselda, who then enchants him to be a really, really good swordsman, specifically. But then, of course, he, like a- again, he keeps na- uh, snapping, people keep snapping, and so he get- keeps getting knocked in and out of being very, very good and very, very not good.
1: See, the way I saw that, he actually could handle a sword even as himself, just differently. So he does this thing. I'm not going to be able to describe it, and nobody's looking at us. But it's like if you have a certain kind of toy and you just shake it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, as quickly as you can, snap, 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 I think he's doing that as himself. So it's not. I don't not... think that's good sword fighting. <laughs> and actually, I think it actually. They were so afraid of it that for that part, I think they put in a, a body double for Ravenshurst, <laughs> just in case.
0: I think <laughs> so that's it's honestly not because sword fighting. No, but it's really handy with a sword. <laughs> I, mean, I mean it would be handy with anything that's very sharp. I suppose. So so, he could
1: do certain things as a minstrel with a sword.
0: I which, mean, he can hold it and move it, but he doesn't really have any finesse.
1: Well, that thing is finesse, it's just not necessarily lethal.
0: You couldn't do it. Nobody could do it. it, it nobody can move their hands that fast. Well, I mean, it makes sense that he probably juggles or something, yeah, right? Yeah, so he yeah, can yeah, move yeah. his hand very fast. But so, I, I mean, so, you know, he can, like, move quickly. And that obviously is a useful skill if one were to learn how to sword fight. But I don't think he actually really knows how to sword fight.
1: No, but he can move enough and move that sword enough that to, not th- dying. to keep much of McCall away from him enough that he's not killed. It's yes. A- he,
0: man- he manages to survive even when he's fighting as himself. Uh, there's also a great moment where when he's as the you know greatest with the blade guy, he, while parrying, lifts up a jug, pours himself a drink and drinks <laughs> it. <laughs> which is just clear also. I just love Basil Rathbone's performance during this too. Just the extent to which he is enraged by that move.
1: <laughs> which is uh, Not a very patient man and a man with a very high opinion. Of himself.
0: Indeed. And eventually working together... Hawkins and Jean and several of the little people managed to basically catapult Ravenshurst into, I guess, the English Channel.
1: Yes, but we had catapults before. Weren't they catapulting all the bad guys before the final catapult? Yes. Yeah, lots of catapults. Great use of a catapult. Great medieval... Yeah,
0: yeah. So yes, all sorts of catapults. And the black fox, you know, shows up, declares victory. But then Griswold arrives... And, you know, they think they're done for. But Hawkins suggests, you know, Griswold, aren't you just sworn to obey the true king? And Griswold's like, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Which is interesting because it doesn't entirely mesh with... We're having very different portrayals, I think, of Griswold. And most of the time, he's sort of not that much of a character. But first, it's like he seems like he's just kind of evil. And now it seems like he actually has something of a kind of sense of honor, whatever. But... but
1: he, ha- he would have had to have sworn fealty to the... Well, I don't well, why would know. It I... What, what is an alliance? An oh, alliance I mean, is not between equals? I mean, it
0: may or may not be. Oh, okay. but And certainly there is a possibility of... I mean, we know that that happens, right? That there are marriages that one might decide that it is useful to make a marriage with a powerful, noble family, you know, so that you can ha- make sure that they actually have your back.
1: Okay, who that, who has already sworn allegiance to you.
0: right, and especially so they're if they're not, I don't know either. right, and then you know, and then there's all, are also various kind of oaths of fealty. What I don't entirely buy is that whatever oath he swore was a kind of vague oath to like that it was like a vague oath to serve the true king as opposed to a specific oath of loyalty to Roderick. That doesn't really trap for me.
1: I'm not sure how bright he is. or how legalistic a mind you know oh i'm not sure exactly what the wording is let let me call my scribe in to read to me exactly what i signed
0: i mean i also don't think that the legal context and like the nature of like nightly bonds is like exactly particularly something that they prioritize the accuracy of this in this film which is fine
1: So, as you know, I'm watching, you know, The Lord of the Rings, which you just watched, and I'm pretty sure when Merry and Pippin get sworn in, they swear fealty to a particular person.
0: Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying, is that that when you have oaths of fealty and, you know, create these relationships of vassalage you you would be swearing a specific personal oath. I mean, that's also why when a new person becomes king, even if it is just the son of a previous you king, again. you have to do it again, right? Because you need to have your oath sworn to that particular specific person.
1: So then this isn't yeah. totally accurate history.
0: It's not, no. <laughs> I, I hate to bring it to everybody that uh, I think that you know authenticity maybe wasn't a must, in fact, despite the opening song.
1: Well, it worked for me, actually. I'm sure you're right, but, you know, at the time it made sense to me. As you promised, right? Oh, yeah, I did. I mean,
0: you know, I, I think that especially on something that A is comedic and B has kind of fairy tale elements, you know, I think having it not, in fact, be 100% authentic, I think is a reasonable choice. But just, you know, in my capacity as snarky historian, which is the point of this podcast, it's worth pointing out.
1: But yes, myth, fairy tale, Shakespeare. The baby who's dangerous to somebody and is supposed to be dead. Right. So,
0: you know, so of course, you know, he's, he makes this, this you know, this isn't the true king move. This is the true king and they reveal the birthmark. Uh, I will also note that this is a weird trope and birthmarks don't work that way. What do you mean? You don't actually, have, like, birthmarks are not like things that are inherited across generations. There's no such thing as a family birthmark.
1: Oh, was the, I thought the point was just that everybody knew that the true king had this birthmark.
0: No, it said at the beginning that it was, like, the royal family's birthmark, so that, like, all of the kings had this birthmark. (laughs) Yeah, it's not just that they happened to know that when the king's kid was born, he'd had this birthmark. It's that all of the kings, like, for generations (laughs) upon generations have had this birthmark.
1: Oh, okay, like the white hair thing in the,
0: what's his name? Yes, in uh, the Edward Rutherford novel, yeah. right, that there's, like, this whole family, and one has, like, a shock of white hair and are nice, and the other have, like, greasy hair and are mean, and the others and the have, like, red hair and are people. stubborn. Yeah, right, he has <laughs> the webbed fingers, but yeah, and, it, like, and they do this in a lot of things. They do this in the um, Cathedral of the Sea, too. Right, right. That, you know, he knows it's really his kid and not the Lord's kid, because oh, it right. has, like, his family's birthmark, like, and birth, like, birthmarks, like, don't work that way.
1: <laughs> right, but they do in, in literature and uh, Absolutely. Yes.
0: Yes, yeah, so they reveal the birthmark, Griswold bows, Roderick, you know, suddenly feels bad, I guess, and bows, and the baby is placed on the throne.
1: I think Roderick does the intelligent thing. He's got two chances, okay. and what? wait, he's got three choices. One is to bow down to the baby and hope for the best. One is to run away. That's what I would do,
0: because they're absolutely going to put him in prison, at least, if not execute him.
1: At least. So nobody seems very angry, at him for killing the entire
0: royal family other than this baby. There's a lot of uh, unresolved things at the end. The previous, the usurper king who massacred this baby's entire family seems to be just chilling. That's a problem. It's also a problem that you have, you know, this group of people, right, Who, because they played such a crucial role, have this position where they're presented as arguably being close to the throne. Jacques, or Hawkins, is still under the control of a witch who just murdered three people.
1: Nobody seems to care about that at all. And what's her name? Angela Lansbury. Gwendolyn is holding hands in two seconds and and staring up with love and
0: joy in her face at the guy she's been refusing to marry for an hour and a half. Right, and that sort of comes out of nowhere. And, and, you know, and I will say in terms of, I don't think we actually see enough of Griswold to know if he's really quite as shitty as she thought he was, but also we have no reason to think he's not.
1: Right, we have absolutely all
0: we know is that he's big, <laughs> right? Yeah, I and mean, we really know and, and that he was big and that he was annoyed that this other guy was supposed to marry the woman that he was supposed to marry.
1: Wait a minute, we—I think we learned something about him in the speech he gives when he's been unhorsed, and Hawkins is holding the sword to his throat, and he says, "Kill me." And why does he want to be killed? What does he say? Because he's been humiliated, or what? I mean, he gives a very long speech about why. Yeah, he that it's, he's be been dishonored.
0: Yeah, that he's been dishonored.
1: Okay, so it's just your standard male knight thing. I, yeah, lost, so I might as well be dead.
0: Yeah, which isn't admirable, but it's okay. far from unique. And there are certainly okay. plenty of things that you've seen that present that, in fact, in a positive light. Yeah,
1: no, I what right. I mean, it's the heroic. I just couldn't remember exactly what he said or if that gave us enough insight that we'd understand why all of a sudden he's a popular fellow.
0: No, and so there's there's certainly nothing that we actually see Griswold do which makes him clearly beyond the pale as an ally or as a right. husband, but, but we also don't see anything that makes their, you know, that creates any kind of obvious reason for there to be a new connection between them.
1: Well, it's the same thing with the king. Other than the fact that we know that he slaughtered an entire royal family, he sort of seems okay. Yeah, he doesn't really seem that bad. He seems sort of normal. Right. And, you know...
0: And he's really not the, bad, the main bad guy. Ravenshurst is the main bad guy. And even with his personal
1: wench he doesn't try to, I mean, obviously, it's always a rape when it's a king and a, and a kidnapped woman, but it's not, he doesn't come on her violently. No, and he so, never, I asks, mean, no. So you wouldn't even know he's incredibly horrible if you hadn't had this extra knowledge about it. But I guess that's also partly because it's a comedy, because I don't even understand Ravenhurst, frankly. All you said, all we know about him is that he doesn't want this alliance. Now, whether it's because he thinks that someday he can usurp the king, I'm not sure any of this is spelled out
0: right i i feel like that was my impression but i'm not sure that i got that from anywhere maybe it's just because he thinks that it might all it might even just be that right now he's the person with the most influence on the king who seems potentially easily influenced gentleman and doesn't want to lose that so right
1: there goes oh maybe that's where we're back to Iago.
0: right right and so i will say at the end of this this movie I mean, it does not pass the Bechdel test because I think every time Gwendolyn and Griselda are talking, they're talking about a real or theoretical man.
1: You know, I really—I'll put that as number six on my list. They never talk about anything. I guess they don't talk about clothing.
0: No, and I think it's really—you know—they have a lot of conversation. Well, I mean, I guess there—I guess there's maybe like a two-line exchange in which she says, "I know you're a witch," right. I mean, I guess maybe there's like a part of that, but like the whole context of the scene is that I'm going to expose you because you lied to me about finding me a boyfriend. Right. So every interaction they have, that's the kind of foundation of it essentially is that Roselda promised her a boyfriend and hasn't delivered.
1: On the other hand, the Bechtel test is anachronistic to this movie.
0: If no, that's test. Yeah, it, does, yes. it does handily pass the If decker test in that there are, there are three named women. They all survive. And I will say, in comparison with, in fact, other things that have come out much more recently, each of them has, each of the women has a distinct personality. They have distinct goals and motives. Gwendolyn's goal and motive is very much about finding a man. But the other two women's are really not related to men. I mean, you know, she wants to put a king, she wants to yeah, put yeah. a king on there, but that's you know, that's politics, so I won't count that. Right. Yeah, so I, I like that.
1: The other thing is that the two women, Gwendolyn, no, not, the un they have amazing, I, I'm not dealing with these G people, amazing skill sets. Mm-hmm. I mean, Gwendolyn has one two skill sets. I'm gonna kill myself and I'm gonna kill you. That and that's her really that really I takes mean she care of her.
0: knows how to exert Literally. both actual and like social or emotional power, which is actually right. I think quite accurate, you know, exaggerated and silly obviously, right. but quite accurate in some ways for a medieval monarch that she kind of uses this emotional or affective power to control or get what she wants uh, again you know with somebody who's more powerful right with the man upon whom her power depends and then she has more coercive forms of power that she can exert upon a person who is in a subordinate position to her somebody who's of lower status
1: right but the captain obviously has skill sets and i i i'm not sure that if somebody put me in a dungeon and put pulled at my fingernails with pincers that I would agree that Griselda's a witch. She hypnotizes.
0: Uh, Yes, she has. I mean, I don't know what your definition is of witchcraft, but she certainly can perform hypnosis. She's not
1: using magic in any way. No,
0: no, that's true. Hypnosis is, that's true. Hypnosis is not necessarily super, I mean, it it could be supernatural, but it's not necessarily supernatural. Uh, And putting poison,
1: right. And we saw her put the poison in their cups she's not just cursing them and they die she literally that's poisons them that's there true
0: poise her, so, her yeah. two skills we see her using are poison and hypnosis and both of which have non-supernatural explanations right.
1: so that that's what i was thinking that she's really not a witch and she does have skills not just you know things she was born with that she's a, not that i'm anti-witch but i'm not sure she is one
0: even if she was witchcraft even if she was a witch and using magic i, I count magic as a skill i think to be able to oh, okay. use magic in a controlled okay. and precise and deliberate way to accomplish what you want to accomplish i think in i think in most magic systems in fantasy you have to learn. that is a, it's a skill it's a skill to be able to do specific things as opposed right. to just you know lash out and burn something down
1: right I that's why her is better than anybody right yeah <laughs> Illumium, <laughs> Yes, you have to
0: know. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, so now we should get into the Vera at Falso, or what this film got right and wrong. So a couple of these things we've, of course, already touched on. Uh, I, I liked the line about that we found all of this dust in doing research, because, of course, you have dust in right. archival research. I all like right. that there's a lot of color, in particular in the royal court that wealthy people would dress very, very colorfully.
1: Right. Especially with all those things we keep hearing on podcasts about, oh, the Middle Ages, so dark. So, so dark. Dark and depressing all the time.
0: I mean, so many of these things, it's like, do they think that color wasn't invented until, like, the 19th century or something? So like, it's why so you have
1: No color, no personality, and
0: no knees. Right. <laughs> But yeah, so I really like that, like, there is that, especially especially at the court and among people who are entertainers, both of which are contexts that make sense, that the Black Fox and his men wear somewhat more muted colors, but that also makes sense, right, because they're, like, hiding in the woods, and so it makes sense yeah. that they're wearing, like, black and green. And so, it, it's, yeah. Edith,
1: Edith Head did the costumes, and Edith Head is probably the most long-lived and brilliant um, costume designer that ever did. And she's cool. costumes, cool. great one.
0: Yeah, so yeah, the, the costumes are great. Uh, you know, I think mean, not necessarily specifically necessarily exactly authentic, but it's not even, you know, I don't, it doesn't even take Do place. Do we even know? Year, so. I mean,
1: Do we even know what a court jester, I mean, that's how I think of court jesters with those, but who knows? There
0: are images that that then tracks onto. I think there may be someone on the leader side. Oh, uh, and I just meant also like, you know, the women's dresses and things like that are not, did not strike me as particularly accurate. no. But they're, they're very fun. I had sort of mixed feelings about Gwendolyn's protest and her arranged marriage and that I appreciated that part of it is that she doesn't want to marry this specific person. The I want to marry for love is always kind of like, come on. You know you're not going to do that. You're a princess.
1: Right. But I, I'm not sure. I think she wanted some say in it, particularly because she hated this guy so much. And if she says, I'm not marrying this guy, and her father doesn't throw her in a dungeon, why not go another step farther? Especially since her witch told her she's going to be able to marry for love. And it's really just, you know, the other thing is it's impossible to tell how old she is, but Right. it's really just a cry for independence and whether you say that out loud or whether you don't. And remember, she doesn't have a mother.
0: She doesn't have a mother. I mean, nobody has mothers. I understand um,
1: that. But she doesn't have a mother who would have said to her, no, you're not going to marry for love. Just give that up. I didn't.
0: Why shouldn't you? Right. And because, of course, the thing is, and, and this is, you know, my other thing is that, of course, men don't marry for love either when you're talking about people of uh, this status, for the you know, for the most part, obviously. It's right. like your weird, quirky situations. Like, you know, Henry VIII keep, think, keeps thinking he marries for love. Henry um, but... III. Second. henry the yeah. second yeah uh, yeah and so you know yes there are exceptions one and that you know eleanor too arguably you know right, right. On, right. on board and so, oh, there are yeah. exceptions but the in the vast majority of cases and it's also like you know you, you marry for love but you still marry there are limits right i mean you're marrying oh. for love but you're not going to love enough to marry a peasant or, or yes, and it's also nice any costume. arranged
1: marriage, if you have any luck at all, you end up
0: loving each other, you know. And like, that's, then, yeah, I mean, that's certainly what's hoped for, right, is that you, is that love comes after the marriage. Right, right. But that, you know, but that people are very much aware, right, that there are politics to this marriage, and especially somebody like her, who is presumably the heir to the throne.
1: Other she might have been able to stay home which is all another issue that we're not even going right. to. right go but then into. also
0: so that, that of course raises a lot of questions in terms of like if you're going if you're the heir to the throne and you're going to get married you should be quite smart about it right what right. i mean so i mean you shouldn't be marrying the court jester because you fell in love with him that is an excruciatingly bad idea if you would like to one day be queen
1: Oh of course of course it's a terrible idea
0: so you know, so there's just like that that stuff, and it's you know, just but silly. yes, it's yes, not it's, really, it's silly. obviously silly. Yes, and the witch accusations also, where, as I mentioned before, where I think a bit too early. Again, we don't know exactly what year it is, but you know, this the you know go to accusation of witchcraft would not have been something that was standard right. until at least the 15th century.
1: Take the witch out and burn, her. but you know, you can see how men really would love to say that all the time. <laughs>
0: And of course, it's you know the the default. I mean, it's a very kind of default assumption that people today assume that that is a constant in the Middle Ages is that right. they're just burning witches, despite the fact that witch persecution is, as we all know, an early modern phenomenon, much more right. than a medieval one. But you know, I do think it is somewhat anachronistic, certainly. And as I said, that's not that uncommon. I mean, there actually just uh, was an SNL sketch uh, essentially mocking the fact that. Alito referred to in his uh, draft opinion of how they're overturning Roe v. Wade and otherwise generally ruining the country Insofar so far as there's anything left to ruin they cited he cited a 13th century law which in addition to the fact that medievalists will discuss the ways in which he misunderstood that law which is a different story but there's an SNL sketch that then has let's basically look at how Everything, in fact, was awful in the 13th century. And right. so how dare he use this as an example of morality? And in that sketch right, too, right. right? It's, you know, the like, let's burn the witches.
1: Right. Right, Which right, right. they're not
0: doing in the 13th century.
1: Right. Now I'm so depressed.
0: Yeah, well, I thought Jean's description of her father training her into behaving as though he wanted her to be a boy had an interesting resonance, at least, in that there is a really fascinating 13th century old French romance, Le Roman de Silence, which basically tells the story of, basically the context is that women are banned from inheriting. And so in this noble family, they have a daughter, and they just say, nope, never mind, and just raise the daughter as a son. Literally, you know, I mean, they actually, like, everybody thinks that Uh it's a boy, that the child is a boy, the child is given the name silence, which is interesting because it's in the vernacular, it's not gendered. Oh, uh, cool. I mean, or it's considered, you know, I mean, it technically is, you know, has a gender in terms of like being a noun, but it's not, it doesn't have the kind of gendering necessary as whether in, in Latin, the name would mm-hmm. be either silentius or silentia.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This uh, child grows up as a boy. There's a lot of, there's a lot of back and forth uh, and a lot of debates between like nurture, between like nature and reason essentially. And it's a really interesting story, which can very much be read as a trans narrative and is really fascinating, with the exception of the fact that the end is that, you know, the king says you're a woman now and marries her, which I think is not necessarily an end that I like. But other than that, I mean, it's really interesting. And so there is this, you know, some some medieval resonance, certainly to this idea that families might raise a girl as a boy in some ways.
1: What I thought was interesting, if I'm remembering it correctly, is she goes through this thing, my father taught me A, B, C, D, so that's great. And then she says, I'm pretty sure she says, I think he wanted me to be a boy, or I think he wanted a son. But I'm not sure he ever actually said that to her. Right, right. That's That's how she interprets it Mm -hmm. because of the milieu she's living in. Right
0: and maybe it's true or maybe it isn't regardless it's of course you know sad that she grew up thinking that but right that her father was not satisfied for whatever right. reason with who she was the rules of chivalry there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations in the film that's just like oh well the rules of chivalry says that say this whereas of course the Codes and ideals of chivalry are much more complicated and at times contradictory. And really, one could use the rules of chivalry to do pretty much anything you want, short of like burning a church town. But (sighs) is it correct that
1: a noble cannot call out his gauntlet on a commoner?
0: That I believe is correct, yes. But that that the idea is essentially that, like, if you're going that the duel as a ritual is something that's only appropriate for that kind of interaction between a noble and a commoner, you could certainly still have a fight with a commoner,
1: right? But you can't you can't call them out for a duel. And is it true that it takes three or four years to become a knight? That you have to go through all this initiation
0: and the initiation is very silly because what it actually is is that the expectation is that you shouldn't be a knight unless you actually have some kind of real meaningful military training or skills and so oh. that's what it actually is i mean it's 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 not that it takes you know three years to go through the initiation rituals to become a knight it's that it potentially takes a decade to become a knight because you should actually know what the hell you're doing before somebody calls you a knight
1: so that's why Heath Ledger didn't have to go through any of this, because the whole point was that he already had these skills.
0: But well, I mean, he also forged his patent, you know, his whole all of his stuff, which is a different story. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But he was obviously oh, a mean, great jouster and a yeah. great person, and a great yeah, no, I essentially meant to that, the end when they that, knight him.
0: Yeah, that the ritual, right, of you know, of knighting somebody should be in recognition oh. of the fact that they've developed skills. Okay, and he obviously had all those skills because he was yeah. winning all those things. Okay. Right, right. And of course, well, you know, there are duels. The idea that a king would leave up the marriage of his only child to how does this duel turn out? Not happening. Oh, that's too bad. Why? It's a terrible idea. This okay, is his heir. Okay, so here's this why. This is going to be the next king of England.
1: Pot is a pot is a pot and I am the son of a potter. Don't you remember that? I told you that a million times? No. Okay. So there are all these kings, granted not real kings, but the kings I grew up with from stories, etc, etc. They always have these daughters and they're sitting in a tower. And then the king says, whoever can do A, B, C, or D, he can marry my daughter. And it's in medieval literature.
0: I mean, that's, yeah, like, okay. you know, like that's in like Chaucer's A Knight's Tale has that idea, right? That there's going to be this yeah. combat for the hand of his daughter. So it's something that's coming out of literature. And so, you know, from this, you know, so the idea of this is, you know, an adaptation of medieval literature. I'll give it that. But in terms of actually reality, oh, God, no.
1: I I understand. Okay, but I'm going to tell you about it. You can cut this if you want. But at any rate, so this king had a daughter, and he put her in a pot. And he said, okay, the pot is sealed, and um, whoever can get her out of the pot can marry. So all these, like, magicians came, and they did spells, and nobody can get her out. Finally, some guy comes, you know, from the artisan class, and he says, a pot is a pot, pot and I am the son of a potter. And he unscrews the top, and the princess comes out, and he marries her. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so yeah you have I mean, it all you the you time say... <laughs> and you have it all the time in Shakespeare too right I mean you know like Portia has these whole series of like elaborate tests for her suitors in Merchant of Venice
1: oh but she's not this, okay yes but I met yes but it's all this medieval stuff about you know, whoever can do A, B, and C. I mean, it's, a trope
0: not- in, it's a trope in medieval and early modern literature. It's and just before. not a thing that would... Uh, right, yes, yes. It's just not a thing that would actually happen in real life. And it's, a, it's an awful idea. Yes. Yes. As I said, the person who married... According to, you know, how Roderick is currently thinking about this thing, the person who's marrying Gwendolyn is going to be the next king of England. Right. Yeah, no, I'm not,
1: I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying it is a common trope in literature, myth, fairy tales.
0: Yeah, as an adaptation of medieval literature, thumbs up, as a representation (laughs) of historical reality, thumbs down, (laughs) I will say. And then finally, I just want to say a word about politics and infants on the throne and that uh, there certainly are young children of course who become king so you know henry the sixth of england is less than a year old but he becomes king in 1422 richard Gemma the first
1: richard the second first... hmm?
0: richard II. yes richard the second is quite young uh jaume the first of aragon is five louis the ninth of france is 12 so it certainly happens Nobody thinks this is, like, a good idea. It's a terrible there, idea. Uh, yeah, that there... It's very... It's pretty much always associated with uh, rebellion and unrest, because people, nobles, think that they can get away with it while there's basically a child running the country, you know, with the support of, the, you know, regents, etc.
1: Right. No, it's a terrible idea.
0: It's a terrible idea, and so especially in this volatile political situation this is an infant, I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing with these people we've mentioned, right, who their father died in a, con, in the context of, I mean, well, more complicated in terms of Henry VI, but otherwise, you know, their father died in the context of a relatively kind of stable monarchic situation. And so, you know, fine, like, this is the heir, that person gets to be king. In this particular situation, where this kid's entire family has been wiped out, Putting him on the throne as an infant as opposed to waiting for him, like, waiting 20 years for him to grow up in the woods is such a bad idea.
1: Who was the queen that was regent for her son forever?
0: Uh, Blanche of Castile. Oh, okay. Was it Blanche of Castile for Louis IX of France?
1: The other thing is... Eleanor's has, granddaughter. Well, everybody's Eleanor's <laughs> granddaughter. <laughs> he has no following, really.
0: Except for this gang... And the king, and there's then all of these people who like wave at his butt. But
1: we don't really have a sense of what happened to all the people that were loyal to the royal family. It can't
0: only be these outlaws. Well, I think that's the scene where they're displaying the purple pimpanel on the posterior, I thought some of the people they're displaying it to are people who are supposed to be loyalists. Who... Oh, okay. So I think those people do exist, but at the same time, presumably this, these other people also have a following. They can't have killed all of them.
1: That's what I'm saying. There's really no... Well, it's, it's not a historical thing, and they're not going to have the entire battle and killing all the people in the... no you know, and then chasing the true followers out of, I mean, you know, we have enough of a build-up before we get to the, the yes, main
0: action. You know, and for, it is a comedy,
1: it is a musical uh, comedy, so, but everybody for thinks, of this
0: podcast Sharing but, that yeah, it is not a realistic yeah. scenario. But per-
1: for purposes of the movie, you really do get the feeling, like you said, that most of the people in that court are very happy to have the real royal family back.
0: Yes. I mean, of course, in itself, I don't think is purely realistic that all of the nobility would so quickly turn.
1: Well, we're not sure they ever turned in the first place. They might have just been playing a role, so they wouldn't all be thrown in a dungeon.
0: Yeah, but you would think that in order to kind of carry out a full-scale massacre of the entire royal family, somebody has to be actively supporting him.
1: Somebody has to go to prison. What? Right. Well, there's three guys and they're all dead. True. I mean, but yeah,
0: you, would, you would think he has to have somewhat more support that they'd have sure. to worry about. Yes.
1: Sure. But he doesn't seem to have been popular enough that everybody's right. going to rush on this child. Right. But, you know, the big historical mistake you haven't mentioned, mm-hmm. which is that it's, it's unlikely that flamenco had been invented.
0: Oh, right, that yes, he does flamenco as part of his little, like, routine when he's telling his jester origin story.
1: <laughs> I'm not yes. going into it, but I did a lot of origin tracing of flamenco. Right, I think <laughs> you said
0: 18th century is the earliest yes. reference, yeah.
1: Yes, but it, it came from, you know, all dispossessed groups before them, mm-hmm. you know, Spanish Muslims, Spanish Jews,
0: Romani. Yeah. So at this point, we can get into the Historia ad Veritas, where I wanted to talk about court jesters and court entertainment. And uh, in particular, there is a really interesting book uh, uh, published in 2001 by a scholar named Beatrice Otto called Fools Are Everywhere, which is a kind of very lengthy uh, trans-historical and uh, uh, cross-cultural history of fools and jesters. So in the European context, there is a kind of comic actors of ancient, in ancient Rome who tend to be described as the kind of ancestors of uh, the, uh, the court justers. Uh So comic actors. I'm sorry, Mom, some of them are mimes. Well, I don't have to look at them, so they don't have to frighten me. There you go. That seems to have been the kind of origins. And then we end up having them be these kind of figures who are associated with particular court settings. This is not exclusively royal courts because, of course, power in the Middle Ages isn't actually exclusively centered on the person of the king. It can also be at the court of a lord. It can even be at the court of like a bishop could have a court jester. So it's something that you're seeing in a variety of different settings. And the interesting thing about the court jester, which we do kind of hint at, at least in the, this film, is the fact that court jesters, first of all, have a real potentially kind of multiplicity and wide range of skills. And also the fact that they're people who are not necessarily of elite backgrounds who then get put in this position where they are very much intimates of whoever is the kind of big person in charge. So, first of all, that we have a sense based on what we know of medieval jesters that they came from a wide variety of backgrounds. Uh, so, that some of them seem to have been kind of scholars and people who had a university, like some university oh, education. Wow there is at least a couple of references to monks who get like thrown out of priories for having sex with nuns and they end up becoming court (laughs) jesters. People who are, you know, there is this tradition, right, of jongleurs of, like, traveling performers and singers. Uh, so ones who have, you know, that, those kinds of skills and then maybe also have, uh, you know, skills that are, you know, physical dexterity as well as verbal skills. Uh, or, you know, even just people who kind of are playing around and who are just kind of ordinary people and who somebody happens, who's a, no, you know, a nobleman happens to notice them and says, you know, hey, that guy. So, so are they all guys? There are some references to women jesters. I believe they're all a bit later. Okay. Uh, so I think there's like 17th century, I believe there's a relatively like late 16th, early 17th century. There's a famous woman jester who worked at a number at the courts of a number of actually the French kings. So on, including Henri IV, mm-hmm. Henri de Navarre, our, our good friend. Yeah, yeah. So they're, I'd say they're mostly men, but not necessarily exclusively men.
1: So I think like most people might, you know, if I say Corchester, I think of the fool in King Lear. Mm-hmm. And what he is. And Hamlet. For, Alas, poor Yorick. They're grave diggers. as Yorick of the jester? Yorick was,
0: Yorick was the jester. Oh, well, now we get to the
1: head. <laughs> At any rate, so I don't know what he said about anything. But the, the fool is known for being able to be the only person who can speak truth to the king.
0: Yes. And that's absolutely something that, you know, was still true in Shakespeare's time. And that is also something that is earlier, something that you can see in medieval contexts as well. And that is one of the things that's really interesting is that he's presented as having both this personal relationship and being this kind of intimate of the king, which makes that possible. But also that essentially by kind of masking it in humor, he's able to kind of speak truth to power, essentially, in ways that is not... Are not acceptable for people using kind of ordinary language and mannerisms, right?
1: Which I guess Hawkins does by bringing in the baby, but
0: oh, right. But I think that is a kind of interest, a kind of interesting aspect, right? And is something to some extent that we see certainly in this film is the emphasis on this kind of intimacy, and then also the idea that they have this this kind of potential to challenge, but challenge in ways that are not actually perceived as being threatening in the same way.
1: Right. Well, maybe that's why the king didn't do anything at the end, because it was his jester.
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. If anybody but the jester had pulled this off, you know, there'd there'd be just a full-scale war.
1: (laughs) But yeah, obviously the court jester in this movie is there for the
0: physical and verbal skills. Yeah, and that is very much a big part of what being a jester entailed. And as I said, I do like the fact as well, right? That this is, there's often, I would say, a trope in a lot of films set in the Middle Ages that there's, I guess I would say, a kind of exaggeration of the possibilities of social mobility. I mean, you know, A Knight's Tale, certainly the kind of, like A Knight's Tale, certainly uh, I also find it interesting in Kingdom of Heaven that Balian of Eviland, Orlando Bloom's character, in real life, he's just a crusader nobleman, in the movie they turn him into this illegitimate blacksmith who then gradually rises to this position of power which is just not true but they want to introduce this social mobility narrative
1: without getting into too much of it americans like to do that too oh you know i was so poor when i was born and now i'm important No, no you weren't poor when you were born (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I mean, and and uh, and a student of mine actually wrote a great paper on you know the American dream and the pull yourself up by your bootstraps right, narrative, right. and about it's really that it's that that American idealization, regardless of reality, of that narrative is why we see it so often. Again, regardless of reality, in these films set in the Middle Ages. Right. And so I think I really like that this is actually a kind of realistic in some ways example of social mobility that. It is that exactly, you know, being a court jester is precisely a way in which people who come from a variety of different backgrounds and who are ordinary people could end up being very much embedded in this kind of court setting and having this intimacy with the king and even kind of critiquing royal power uh, using humor in these various ways.
1: Though of course he is a knight by the end, just because the king changes, you're still a knight, right? Yeah, I and mean, I mean, I
0: guess you know the fact that he is that he is knighted, you know, and yeah, that he is. I don't actually know how it would affect things that he's knighted under not his own name oh, and good. that everybody knows the is that in the nice tale?
1: well that's <laughs> a, well that's the,
0: the issue is that it's all forged oh okay. i mean he was you know oh, and right. that, that's the issue right is that all of his kind of okay. patents of nobility and family background right. stuff like that's all for like those are all forgeries that's really the issue
1: but, but i don't think he's going to care because he doesn't want gwendolyn he wants
0: captain Jones. he's oh, not right, going to yes. care
1: he's not going to care
0: yeah. So I don't think he cares certainly about being, about being a knight, but you know, and I don't know whether he cares if he has any connection with the court at all after this.
1: Yes, but, um, if it was historical, we really would like to know what happens next. <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: The other thing, which is interesting, which is kind of to the side in this film is that there is very much an association with jesters and other court entertainment and various forms of disability. That it was very common to have people who were either right. who had dwarfism or you know or hunchbacks. It was also really common to have people who at least presented as mad. Oh, them too. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean that's sort of Hamlet, right, is kind of pulling this kind of court right. jester madness like look, essentially.
1: But what's that famous painting with Barbara the Queen and her little pet person with dwarfism, and it's the whole royal family. Oh, uh huh.
0: Yeah, that yeah. this is, uh, you know, and that, and that also, you know, is, is relatively common that, you know, there are, especially in the early modern period, the, quote, court dwarfs, um, that you right, have right, people right. who, you know, are, are brought in, essentially, as uh, in part to kind of be, be displayed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So there is that association, which the film uh, touches on to an extent, of course, with this, uh, with this group of little people who are included as well, though it's not the, the primary focus of the film.
1: No, I thought the focus of the little people was that, you know, don't disregard them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really might need them. And they're really, really, really capable. So people, people with dwarfism are
0: capable. Women are capable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the for me, the only thing is that I do is they've they'd been a little bit more of actual characters. but Right. And the, uh, and the final thing that I'm just going to mention about court jesters that I found really interesting is that court jesters are not actually an exclusively European phenomenon, that there are really similar kinds of uh, stories and narratives told about really similar figures in China and the Middle East in Persia and India. So I thought that was really fascinating that, wow. this is like, that there's like an international, like global history of court jesters and fools. That's
1: interesting. I'm <laughs> sure I've read about them in some novel or another, but I don't remember right and that's through history medieval and what we call renaissance yeah medieval
0: renaissance going up to i think about the 19th century if i'm remembering correctly is uh is kind of when when you sort of stop seeing court jesters i think the timeline is a little bit different in different places but i think generally you know early modern as well as as i mean especially i mean those period that periodization is also kind of fundamentally eurocentric anyway
1: yes but now we have the kennedy center honors it's the president, I think, who picks them, right? Is it who's entertained him enough? Uh, you know, the most mm. that
0: year. Yeah, I think. So. Oh, you can. Yeah, check. I think so. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that. Wasn't there, like, a whole thing about how people talked about the fact that, like, there was, like, a standard, like, White House, like, roast thing that Trump, like, didn't do or, like, didn't let them actually say anything, like, at all insulting about him and that, like, that was considered to be sort of interesting in terms of our road to fascism? Oh, I'm wrong. (laughs)
1: It's not the president. I don't know why I thought it was. It's a selection committee.
0: Hmm. My mistake. There's something
1: I thought the president said.
0: Well, at this point, I think we can get into the Fabula Nostra, where we come up with a film or other piece of media inspired by this one that we'd also want to see in the world. Do you want to go first?
1: Sure. It's been such a terrible week news-wise. At the same time, I'm reading a book in which there's something called The Dead Dead Gang. So, what I would like to see is a gang mm-hmm. led by Captain Jean, Joan, Jean, Joan, Jean, Jean. And what they can do is go back in time and prevent terrible things from happening. I mean, they can't go back and, and kill Hitler, they have like an hour. So, right. as soon as the bad news comes in on their Twitter feed, they they can go back to when it started, and they can shove the police out of their way and enter the school and just take care of things before anybody's dead. Uh-huh. So there would be obstacles like the police, and I guess they would argue we only have an hour. Which thing should we do? So many horrible things are happening at the same time. I don't know if there'd be an arc as opposed to just different vignettes of their going back in time. And it would be a very inclusive Yeah, Excellent. would be at the head. That's what I think.
0: Cool. I'm intrigued by the figure of Griselda, who, I mean, in some ways not large to something like a court jester, is this person who doesn't seem to really come from wealth in particular, right? She doesn't really seem to be important, but has become this really powerful and influential figure in the court through her personal connections and through, you know, her poor skills. So I want the follow-up film centered on Griselda in which she, for whatever reason, decides that she's going to protect this infant king in this situation which is clearly politically a nightmare and that she's going to, like, use her assorted, like, hypnotic and poisoning and whatever other skills... To, like, keep this baby from getting murdered.
1: She is absolutely the best choice. Absolutely 100% the best choice.
0: And I kind of like the idea... So, okay, so I, I want to, like, maybe then also even, like, delve into her backstory, I think, could be fun in terms of where she got the skills. I also think it would be fun if I actually, so I think you're right that she can certainly be interpreted, you know, all of her skills in the film, right, can certainly be interpreted as, you know, natural rather than supernatural. But I do think it would be funny if we sort of retcon things a bit and she actually is a witch, but nobody actually notices because it's just not actually on people's radar in the 13th century.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, that would be a good way to do it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so nobody like bothers or like nobody's bothering her about it. Nobody's persecuting her about it. She's just kind of doing all these things in the background. No, I love it, and nobody notices because she's like a woman over thirty. Yeah, ain't that the truth?
1: No, I think that's brilliant. That you know, you can do a sequel with all the actors who aren't there anymore. I don't I, think anybody's. I, oh, you said Glennis Johns is alive.
0: Glennis Johns and Angela Lansbury and Angela. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I sequels. mean, are they're, Angela they're,
1: Lansbury still alive? I thought we lost her.
0: No, I think she's still alive. Like, she's so. 96, but...
1: Did she pass away? She was made a dame commander.
0: <laughs> yeah, according to Wikipedia, Angela Lansbury is still alive. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, so they can both be in it, though I don't know what they would be.
0: I I think we might have to recast uh, a number of the the central roles, but I think it would be great for them, for uh, for Angela Lansbury and Glynis Johns to both, like, be be in the movie as, like, you know, they can, like, pop in as, like, ladies-in-waiting or something. Yeah, they could certainly
1: do cameos.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it would be great for them to have, like, a, you know, if they're for effort to have, like, cameos as part of the court. I, I didn't actually come up with casting. I, I failed on that, but... Oh, I, I didn't even think about it. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. As I, as I said, I, I didn't either, so it's gonna be fun.
1: I think That'd be great. I think you yeah. should, like, get somebody to angel you,
0: roll you, backroll you, whatever yeah. the term is. Angel invest me or bankroll yeah. me. Yeah. So at this point, we can rate the film on a scale of one to five, based on whatever subjective criteria we see fit. I, I'm going to give it a four. I think there are legit ableism issues in terms of the way in which some disabilities are used for jokes. And I think that while on the one hand, I like that the little people are given something to do, I do think on the one hand, they're, they're kind of instrumental, but not really characters, which I think is sort of unfortunate. On the I, other hand, neither is the Black box. No. I mean, he at least has a name. I mean, or a title. And, and he at least has an individual oh. designation. He has an individual designation. He doesn't have a name. <laughs> no, you're right. He technically, according to my standings on this podcast, he does not have a name. He has a title, just a title. But he is, he is more of a individualized character. That they're not really individualized characters. Okay they're they're kind of a group entity you know so that's the kind of one i think sort of downside especially like for a film from 1955 i think the the gender politics are good there are historical issues but they're mostly quibbles that i think can be justified by the fact that this is comedic and fairy tale-esque as opposed and it's not really i think intended to be in fact authentic or realistic right so, yeah, I'll, I'm going to give it a four, which, which is pretty good for this podcast. I, as you know, I'm a very harsh critic. I think, I, like, Lord of the Rings is, like, one of the very few things that's gotten to five. Huh, you didn't give Wheel of Time a five? The bo- uh, yeah, I gave uh, the book. Lord of the Rings and Wheel of, T- Wheel of Time and BBC Merlin. I think my pity will be fives.
1: <laughs> well, I'm going to give it a five, partly because while I hear what you say about the little people... I cringe so much when I saw them in the credits, let alone the Zawabis. And then I was shocked that, except for the critique that they're not individualized, I thought that was like a great use. You know, that they were put to good use, that they were given a very important role, even though it was a role as a group. So that worked out much better than I had anticipated. But the other two reasons I'm giving it a five is I think that movie allowed Danny Kaye to do everything he is capable of doing. And he's mm-hmm. capable of doing an immense amount. He can sing, he can dance, he can act, he can, you know, he can do sort of stuff, he can, you know, do all these amazing physical things and he did them all in one movie i mean and yeah. in, in, in a one five minute period it's amazing and the third reason i'm giving it a five is that for much of the movie i kept laughing out loud i never
0: yeah, laugh it's very, out loud it's very funny. yeah it's very funny i i would definitely recommend it
1: and no i hate slapstick but the physical humor in this was not slapstick. It was just no. brilliant phys- physical humor. So I'm happy to give it a five. If I, I get another $4 from somewhere, I'll watch it again. <laughs> I loved it.
0: Really loved it. Recommend and, it highly. And the other thing I will say is that I have recently covered a, a total of four movies set in and around the Middle Ages, which have come out okay, in within the last year, right? So okay. since summer of 2021. Okay. This, I think, does better on gender roles than all but one of those. I'm not sure that's true just for medieval movies. <laughs> no, I'm just using that as an example.
1: Yeah, but that's, yeah. this is why I had to learn what it means to fridge a character, to fridge a right. woman. Yeah, I know what it meant, but it's in every single
0: damn movie and TV show. Let's have some women here so we can kill them. There's that. There's also uh, two of those films that I'm thinking of are films where they have a female character whose really only purpose is to be a love interest. She has no clear motivations aside from wanting to be with and help this guy in his goals. Right. I've been unimpressed by that. And this, you know, so obviously Jean is a love interest, but she's got her own stuff going on.
1: Right. And she puts off being a love interest until she takes care of the yes. things that need to be taken care of immediately.
0: Yeah, he's very clearly her secondary her secondary priority. She's very right. clearly prioritizing her other, you know, personal goals and aims over, you know, over this guy. You know, she likes him, but he's, right. you know- he's not our top priority and i and i and think she, that's really great
1: and she does take certain risks to save his life not that <laughs> uh,
0: yeah i mean and i don't think that's a yeah it's just that there are you know that i'm thinking of that there are examples right where there's really nothing the character does which isn't fundamentally about the guy that they're into and this right, is a problem no. that i have uh, with the love interest in green knight this is a problem that i have with the love interest in northman and it's not a problem here No, I I think, yeah,
1: no, I think the gender politics, politics are pretty good. Yeah, they're
0: really surprisingly good for the 1950s. Yeah, well, for any time. Uh, Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. But, you know, especially for the 1950s, and as I said, even, like, as, like, today, it weirdly holds up better than movies made five minutes ago. Right, and I'm sure that's done on purpose. Yeah, you mean in terms of the movies now or in terms of this? Yes, well, both probably.
1: Well, well. But I I did mean that the ones done on purpose uh, are now, the contemporary ones.
0: Yeah. So, Mom, thank you so much for guesting.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure.
0: Are there places where the listeners can find you on the internet? I
1: have a Twitter account, probably under my real name, a Facebook account,
0: ditto, ditto. All right. So look for her on Twitter and Facebook. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll read new five-star reviews in future episodes. And I have a review from Midwest Medievalist who writes, this podcast is one of the few that I always make a point of keeping up on. The hosts are very clever and well-informed and the criticism of both the good and bad points of the media reviewed is very on point. Dr. Decker praises when the history is accurate, especially if it's lesser known history we ripping into the bad tropes and stereotypes all too common in these stories in a very satisfying way. So, thank you to Midwest Medievalist. Please also follow the podcast on Twitter at MediaEvilPod and join the Facebook group. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Itchdecker. If you have any questions or suggestions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. To mom, thank you again. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you all for listening to MediaEvil. Bye. I Life could not better be On a medieval spree Nights full of chivalry Villains full of villainy
1: You'll see as you suspect Maidens fair and silks
0: bedecked Each tried and true effect For the umpteenth time we resurrect We did research
1: Authenticity was a must Zeus Did we search And what did we find A lot of dust